Hey. Happy New Year! 2024 is upon us! So what are we going to do? Well, here we are. We're still on the same spot, same place, talking about the good things that are forging our path. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so we have a good break? Uh, dude, it was rough. The past three weeks have been pretty painful in the Powell household. The kid ended 2024 with five days in and out of the hospital. Oh, and then wow. And then we started... No, no, sorry. Last days of 23 in and out of the hospital. We were at Children's. We had overnight stays. And then we ended up in Florida on vacation after Christmas and we had an ER visit. It was just a shit show. A huge shit show. But he's better. <laughs> and now he's Family got the, life. Yeah. He's got the immune system of a freaking 30-year-old now, so we're good. Just like that. There you go. I remember having just a revolving credit card going to the emergency room with my boys. <laughs> always something. Always something. I think yeah. the funniest one was when we actually went on a family trip. And as soon as we arrived into this, this it was like kind of like a dude ranch. You could do stuff. As soon as we got in there, got there, my boy saw a fence, ran up, jumped over it, then boom, broke his arm, dislocated his arm, came back here. We just got here. We just got here, literally. Off to the hospital. So much wow. for the weekend. So guys, why don't you say we just jump into the podcast? Listeners, welcome to Forging the Path. Dude, I'm not looking forward to the hospital bills. Like we we had a pretty good 23 where we didn't have a lot of visits, so our deductible didn't get met. And then the end of the year, we obviously had those five days, which are going to cost a lot of money. And then we start start new new deductible 2024, and we immediately yeah. in days were at the hospital. This should be like a rolling thing. <laughs> Shit's expensive, like, man. No, so we just put our our son Nash in preschool. His first day was yesterday, right? And Meg and I went through a long process of more or less interviewing the different teachers and, and the different schools, trying to find out what program was best for him and what kind of education we wanted to give him. And at the end of the day, we landed on this one. Meg went and met with the teacher, loved her. Um, and like I said, yesterday was his first day. So we get there and uh, she's nowhere to be seen. So we're kind of like, what's going on? All they had in the room were these, a couple of aides who, you know, they're probably really nice people, but they weren't his teacher and they weren't the one we're paying like it's it's not cheap anymore um but so they've got this this app that'll tell you what teacher was playing with him they send a picture to you like here's here's him playing with cars or whatever and and if they give him a snack or change his diaper or, or he goes and takes a nap your their login will show like i don't know teacher x and Nash went down for a nap at this time, blah, blah. And we're, we're watching the whole day and all we're seeing are these, these aides or the assistants posting stuff. And we're like, where's this teacher? We where he's in the school because of this teacher. She's not here. And then it was, we got a little bit more relaxed because at, well, nap time, the teacher's name populated and she was the one who put him down for a nap and changed his diaper. So we're like, all right, that's good. Well, come four o'clock, we went to pick him up and the teacher's still not there. So it kind of, it makes you wonder if like they're, they're even just, if they're just like logging her in, but she wasn't actually there. Exactly. Just a like cardboard cutout. It wouldn't be <laughs> a big deal. Cutout. It wouldn't have been a big deal. And I wouldn't really be upset if the teacher hadn't shown up at all. It's the, the, the dishonesty mm-hmm. of yes. posting as if there, she's there. Dude, I have, I have a very similar story that happened. What happened? I have a, a very similar story that happened twice to me. Uh, we, we used this dog walking service here in New York city. Um, 
And uh, the idea is like they come and walk your dog and they take a photo and text you the photo of, of them walking your dog and, and say how the walk went, you know. So, uh, and this one and we also had like a camera inside of our apartment, you know, just to have a camera inside the apartment to see like what the dog did while we were gone. Um, and so we would always see the dog walker come in, grab the dog, go. Right. And then all of a sudden, like we, we got a, I didn't get an alert one day that that the camera went off. So I'm like, what happened? But like the dog walker sent us a text of like the 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 walk went great here's the picture blah 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 and i'm like well that's fucking weird the camera didn't go off then it happened again <laughs> then it happened again then it happened again and so like we're like all right i feel like the dog walker is not actually coming and she's just texting photos of like you know pre-banked <laughs> she took, photos she, yeah she took 20 yeah. photos one day exactly exactly yes yeah. so so what i did is i decided to uh I just put the dog in a different colored harness. So it was wearing a blue harness before. Then I switched it to an orange harness before we left for work that day. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward a couple hours later, sure enough, we get a text from the dog walker and it's wearing the blue harness, not the new orange harness. So sure enough, we knew that, yeah, she had just banked a bunch of photos and was taking them on and, and just not walking the dog anymore. So needless to say, we, uh, we didn't go with that dog service anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i think we just need to jump into the podcast now this week we've got a guest who is at the top of his game in the motorsports world his name is ryan beat and he's gonna be joining us right after this break Woo! we've got the beat the ryan beat Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, guys. How are you? What's hey, going Ryan. on, dude? Good, man. Nice Good. to meet you. I'm going to let him speak for himself, but he is a beast in the motorsports world. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here, guys. So, in the beginning of the, the interviews, we typically like to, to let our guests explain themselves, if you will, or, or give a, a brief bio of themselves. So, in your own words, obviously your own words, who who is Ryan B? Yeah, so um, I am a professional short course off-road racer. Now, a lot of people wonder what that is, right? It's um, basically off-road trucks racing inside of a closed course um, or specified, you know, stadium-style track, if you will. Yeah, so with that, um, obviously, you don't just wake up one day and, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're a professional race car driver, short course off-road racer, right? So I started, uh, started my career and started uh, my rate, my love and passion for racing. started racing dirt bikes, raced motorcycles through the professional ranks, uh, into Supercross and Motocross, and then uh, had a couple injuries, and uh, unfortunately, you know, kind of basically sidelined my Motocross career for a while. But in the meantime of the healing stage, if you will, from those injuries, I uh, had an opportunity to get into the off-road game of, of short course off-road, and um, honestly, got started, uh, had a ton of success right away, and never looked back. <laughs> Definitely want to jump through every bit of that. The, the injury obviously is something we want to talk about, but like, I know, I know a little bit about the motocross supercross world. My wife's family have been not so much anymore, but they were in it way back in the, in the seventies. My father-in-law, nice. his seven brothers used to just get after it. And they, it's, it's not just like sitting on a fucking bike. It's not BMX. <laughs> it is fucking serious though. They just had the yeah. supercross in, what was it? January 13th. Yep. I don't know yep. if anybody any of our listeners watch this, but it's, it's fucking nuts. Yeah. It's pretty intense. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. How did you get into that? Is that where you started? 
Yeah, that's where I started. So uh, for my fourth birthday, uh, my parents got me a, a dirt bike, and that's what I wanted to do. You know, they they had come to four me. Four years said, old. Here we go. I was four. Wow. Four. Yeah. All right. My dad grew up around racing. Uh, my dad raced sprint cars and midgets. Uh, one of my uncles was a factory mechanic for factory Kawasaki in the dirt bike dirt bike world. Excuse me. My other uncle raced uh, NASCAR, stock cars, stuff like that, uh, late models. So basically, I was kind of grown up in, in a racing family. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> racing was definitely on the, on the slate there. So, uh, for fourth birthday, got a dirt bike and, um, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to play baseball. I didn't want to play football. I wanted to race. So I wanted to ride dirt bikes. So, um, that's where it all started. And, um, it, it took off from there. Obviously I fell in love with it as a kid. And, and my parents said, Hey, if you want to do this, you know, we'll support it, but you gotta, you gotta, you know, get good grades and you gotta do the things that most kids have to do and, and pay attention in school to, uh, be able to do it. So that's what, what we did. And that's what I did growing up. I raced dirt bikes. And you know, what's very interesting about that too, being a dirt bike, um, uh, you know, a racer and everything else, people think, Oh, you just ride on the bike. No, as a matter of fact, there was a study done that you guys in a phenomenal shape, the core of controlling the beast of those motorbikes. I mean, what <laughs> do you do to prepare for that? Aside from just riding? I mean, that's a lot of strength that's required from that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they say it's one of the most physically demanding sports in the world. So, to grow up doing it from the age of four, obviously it was a little easier for me to transition as the years went on um, doing it. But obviously as you get older, you have to go to the gym and cycle. And there's so many other sides to it as to, you know, eating correctly. And, you know, it's a whole program. It's a whole training um, regiment that, that you have to follow. It's very strict um, in, in order if you want to be successful. So Ryan, like, was there ever a time in in the early like stages of riding the dirt bike where it's like, I don't know, was there ever a time where it was like, it was you got hurt and you were like, man, maybe this isn't for me or anything like that. Any kind of stories of like potential problems? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of times, you know what I mean? Like uh, dirt bikes aren't for the faint of heart by any means. You mm -hmm. know, it's not unusual to go a year. If you go a year without a broken bone, you're doing pretty, pretty well. So, um, <laughs> you know, broken bones are quite often in that sport and, and getting tore up, you know, a lot of people have knee injuries and ligaments and, Man, it's, like I said, it's not for the faint of heart, but, you know, as I grew up racing dirt bikes, um, you knew it was part of it. You knew you had to, you know, if it happened and you got hurt, you had to overcome it. You had to heal up. You had to uh, focus on healing and get your body to heal as quickly as possible so you can get going and get on to the next race. But man, I have to imagine it's so different when you're like six years old. <laughs> like but you, you don't, you have zero fear at six years old. I've seen these kids yeah. racing around moto and they're, they're fucking nuts too. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, that's the age where it's like, you know, if, if you, that's when you learn not to touch the hot stove. Cause when you touch the hot <laughs> stove, you get hurt. So like, if you hurt yourself on the bike, like I would imagine like, that's gotta be a tough, like kind of thing to get over when you're that young. <laughs> yeah. So it's one thing to, when you're at that age, you know, four years old, six year old, as a kid, you just want adrenaline. You want the fun. You get the more, yeah. like everything else. But then. Yep comes apart with me as a parent i'm like do i want my kids to go with speed speed you know does all these things <laughs> so you had that support but how in the world did you turn this into a career i mean from, yeah. from it's one thing to do it as a hobby and a passion yep. another is a career because you need sponsors you need there's a lot of money that has to go into this to be able mm -hmm. to make it a career yeah and i think um from a young age i always kind of understood um maybe i was just born savvy with it or whatever but you know pretty savvy in the business realm. You know, I've always kind of been business, business oriented or business minded. And the fact of understanding, you know, Hey, if you want sponsors, you got to do something for them. They're not just going to give you money or give you support to essentially 
put a sticker on a vehicle, right? Like you got to be able to give them more than that. You got to be able to help them sell their product and help them do what their goals are, right? So um, I think I've always known that and understood that from a young age. So it's always made my process a little bit easier. I've always had a lot of support in that fact because I understood that. So, um, you know, as a kid growing up, like you said, yeah, I just wanted to race and I wanted to go fast and wanted to have fun. And in order to have sponsorship, you have to um, not only do well, but understand the business side of it too. So mm -hmm. that mindset is really helping me throughout my career into the professional ranks of motorcycles and then beyond that into the trucks and now owning my own business and a professional racing business that operates solely on, you know, sponsorship dollars or if you will, partnership dollars. Um, you know, it, it's very critical to understand that. Now, what was the age when you first started taking on sponsors and it stopped being just going out on the weekends and, and going full throttle? I want to say I was probably seven or eight is when Holy I started. Uh, shit. Yeah. Wow. It's when I started getting you know, sponsorship. Yeah. Like, you, you know, and it was at smaller levels at that time, you know, you start off as free gear, helmets and goggles and mm -hmm. gloves and that type of stuff. And you get some free tires here and there and, you know, some free plastics or whatever. And then by the time I was 12, I was getting free motorcycles, and getting heavy support. And, and, and that side of things where we were traveling across the country and, you know, around uh, the United States. Um, and what's, what's the racing scene like at that age? Like, is there, is it? It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's national races all across the country um, at any time, any given time throughout the year. So, I mean, these national races, they bring in thousands of riders and thousands of kids that, that are from the ages of three to, you know, 33. So um, mm -hmm. it's big, you know, the moto scene across the country is, is huge right now. It's popping. Everybody loves motocross. Obviously supercross helps that being on TV every Saturday night. So uh, I think uh, it, it's growing and it, it's continuing to gain, gain some momentum, but uh, you know, that's what, what, what uh, how it started for me. Now you said business savvy, right? You had to have that little bit of a uh, business sense, but, um, in your particular field, did your parents have to take any courses, organizations tell you, this is how you're going to get sponsors. This is how you're going to actually be able to support <laughs> what you're doing. Is there something that people in your, in your community are able to go to so that they can find a way to make it a business? Yeah, obviously there's a lot of books these days. You know, a lot of these people have written, you know, sponsorship books and there's sponsorship summits that people put on and, and, you, and there's a right now there's 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 a ton of outlets to where that's probably the number one question in motorsports is how do we get sponsorship right so now nowadays there's there's tons of reading material and and tons of content as to how to get sponsors right but back then there wasn't it was kind of just you know at the time my dad had a construction business and and you know kind of some of the similar things that he had to go through to to acquire clients and you know customers um, is kind of how we looked at it with my racing you know we had to. You know, if you want something, you got to you got to give a service for to, to get something in return. Right. In our sense, we wanted we wanted sponsorship we wanted free bikes and gear and stuff like that. In return, we had to do certain amount of races and, and we had to finish well and, you know, be professional and, and, and try mm -hmm. to at the age of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it was, um, being a good representative of, of those those sponsors and, and making those sponsors proud. And that's, that's something, so we talked, we had a guest a while back, Alex Laughlin, who's in the drag yeah. world. And, yeah. uh, and that's, this is something that blew my mind when it came to the sponsorship world. It's not, it's not just, I'm going to go race this amount of times yeah. and I'm going to tr obviously try to win for you. There is, there are like backdoor, not backdoor deals in like a, in a bad way, but <laughs> so much more that goes into 
what you're saying is you've got to give them something, whether it's yeah. you're the you're the in-between for two separate companies that that yep. want to meet. Dude, it's it blows my mind how in-depth the the sponsorship world is. Yeah, that's a big majority of my business now is is putting together the B2B business relationships uh, amongst partners. You know, uh, we have some pretty awesome partners within our racing program, but they like being a part of us because, you know, A, of course, everybody likes seeing the race truck go around the track with their branding and logo on it. But Mm -hmm. more or less, they're there more for the business relationships and and potential opportunities of business that they can create or gain from being part of our racing program. So we can hold sponsorship seminars, and summits where we get all these partners together and Hey, how can we all do business together? That's really what it's about. And was is that a shift that happened in your in the time span of your career? Like, yeah. was there a time when it was just I want Marlboro on the side of a on yeah. the side of a car because people are watching? When did that? Yeah. In your opinion, when did that kind of shift? Man, I would say it started really getting a big shift um, during the time, like almost at the same time as social media started to come arise. Right, first it started okay. up like in MySpace and Facebook type stuff, and then it went into Instagram and. Twitter and all these all these new you know forms of social media, but right about the time of those those uh, social medias getting started is when I saw a lot of brands go from hey we're not just interested in you know a vehicle going around a track now now you have a platform now you have a a, a, a space to talk about our products um, and and a, a platform to do this in where nobody can argue with you really you, you get your five minutes of fame anytime you want to post. So basically um, I saw that that when that transition started happening is really when you saw a lot of the B2B business deals starting to align and people coming together. Hey, how can we do business and, and work together? For me personally is when it, this we're about time when all that stuff started to come together at one time. So uh, going back to not to dwell on it too much, but go back to like when you were you know 12 years old or whatever, racing motorcycles, uh, like how fast were you going when you were like 10 years old, 12 years old, you know, 15 years old. I mean, speeds, I don't, I don't know. You get probably 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, but you know, motocross isn't really so much about top speed. It's, it's jumping and rhythms. I mean, there were jumps that back then that were 60, 75 feet long that we're doing as a 12 year old kid where you're 25 feet in the air and 75 feet long. So it's, I mean, <laughs> and here we thought we were cool when we were kids taking our huffy dirt dogs and jumping over a little jump into a pond. <laughs> So yeah, we talked about uh, you know you, you're working your way up in in the in the motorsport world uh, as a teenager. Where were you at in your early twenties? Yeah, I was at the peak of my career. Um, you know, I I had had a contract and was in contract with Factory Kawasaki, which for those of you that are new, Factory Kawasaki is there's you know four or five main factory teams. You really yeah, it's the pinnacle of the sport. So I was I had made it to the point where at the time I was a factory test rider. So I did a lot of testing and develop on, development on the bikes for the race team. Um, and then if certain guys were hurt on the race team, like a primary riders, I got to fill in as a backup rider. So uh, kind of like I, I guess you, a perfect way to put it is this is your second string, uh, you know, football player, baseball player, your relief pitcher or whatever. Um, I was one of those guys. So um, I was good enough to go out and race uh, for, let's put it, um, less uh, technologically advanced teams. I go out and be their A rider, so I could be the the backup B rider for a. That's really, the nice really way of team. putting it. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's 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 like a pretty that's a pretty big business decision or career decision for you. Like, are you do you 
want to be with the best and not necessarily be out on the on the field or on the course all the time as a career progression or are you willing to go just do you want to get out there get the wind in your hair and and hit the jumps yeah exactly and for me it was it was a business decision you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i said going back to that business minded sense uh for me i could go race you know 30 some weekends a year on a less competitive bike and and a b level team or i can go train all during the week um do development, be a part of a winning program, um, be a part of that that success, and then still have my weekends off to hang with my family. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I, I had, at the time I had chosen, I'm like, ah, I can still get my weekends off. In the event somebody got hurt, one of the A riders got hurt, then I got to fill in or whatnot. So uh, for me, it was the best of both worlds. I still got to be mm-hmm. a professional racer, a rider. I got to go to the track during the week like a normal nine to five job and ride my dirt bike. But on weekends, I got off, and then also I got to be a part of a winning program instead of, you know, say a mid-pack program or mid-pack team. So for me, it was, um, you know, I, I did that till I was about 23, and unfortunately, while I was testing one of the days we were doing development, um, I, I'd had a, I didn't even crash, honestly. Um, I was going through, you know, whoop-de-doos, the, the bumps, a bunch in a row. So I was going to, yep, so I was going across those, and um just made a slight mistake and ended up breaking my navicular bone. And for those of you that aren't aware, what the navicular bone is, it's basically in your wrist. So small bone right here. Well, it's the hardest bone in the body to heal. Um, and there's like little blood flow to it. Basically the way the arteries and veins run, it kind of does like a, a U shape loop deal in your hand. Anyways, very hard to heal. So um, it's, it's, it's killed a lot of professional motocross riders careers mm-hmm. over the years. Wow, uh, Ricky Johnson, uh, back from the late '80s. That's what ruined his career. Uh, James Stewart, uh, Bubba had this had this uh, injury in his career as well. So there's a lot of people that have had it, but the problem with it is it's usually a nine month to a year and a half long lead time for this bone to heal, depending on what you do and and, and how fast you heal. Hit that nine months, you're not on a bike. You're not progressing with everybody else with the new technology. You're not doing anything. Yes. Yeah, and that could drive you crazy. Yeah, the mental side of it was just sitting there knowing you want to do so many things. And then there's always that thought, is my career over? Yes. How do you get over that? You know? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the mental side of it was very, very tough on me in the fact of like, here I just, I was second year into this contract and I had just started kind of to capture everything I'd ever wanted. I had just bought a house and I was starting to build a nice life. And, and then all of a sudden it strikes and it was like, man, what do I do? You know, how do I overcome this? And what this situation is, you know, I, I've always been around racing. I've always known racing. I, you know, I knew I had to do something in racing with my career as I was healing up. I, I still had hopes of going racing again, but fact of the matter was doctors were telling me, no, you'll never race professionally again yeah. because mm-hmm. you won't have the hand strength it takes to grip the handlebars on this bike. So, yeah. And you've already established how much physical, uh, uh, you know, how much in shape you need to be to ride the, the bikes like this, yeah. right? So, so it takes a, a insane amount of strength to, to, to handle the handlebars on these bikes, right? So, mm-hmm. and to do what you have to do to do it professionally. So, um, accepting that fact and, and trying to move on, trying to figure out what's next, right? Of, of like, all right, where do I go with this career? What do I do now? Do I become a team manager? Do I work for the team? Do I become a mechanic? It was kind of like, you know, there was a year and a half for me of downtime of not being able to be on the bike of figuring out what do I do, right? Like what's next? So how do I figure this out? How do I navigate the waters of this? And, um, 
quite frankly, uh, a family friend was into the short course off-road stuff. And, and before that, I had never even looked at off-road. I never even thought about racing off-road truck. I knew that they were extremely expensive and a hard sport to get into. Family friend came to me and said, hey, we got a car. You want to come race and try it out and check it out? And I'm like, hell yeah. I can. If I win, can I make my house payment? This was what I was concerned with at the time. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's all I cared about. I was like, all right, it's got to make my house payment. Can, if I go out and win, can I make my house payment? They kind of giggle and they go, yeah, 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 no problem. Not thinking that I would win, right? But so I went out and ended up winning right away. Like the second race I ever did. Wow. The first race I got third and the second race I won. So it was kind of, it came as a shock to everybody involved as to how quickly it progressed of me being able and capable of winning an off-road trip mm -hmm. race, right? So um, even still with a torque wrist, um, you know, wearing a wrist guard, I could still turn a steering wheel and it wasn't as demanding on me as, as a dirt bike was. So mm -hmm. went out and did really well right away. And at that point, um, I had several teams come to me and say, hey, would you like to do this full time? Would you like to do it as a profession? And, and honestly, at that point, I'm like, forget motocross, man, I don't, I don't yeah. get tore up. I can do this. I have a chance. And, you know, I, I come into this and I've already established that I'm, that I'm capable of winning and being a top guy right out of the gate. Let's, let's continue to roll with this, you know, let's, let's go for it. So I ended up doing uh, two years with a, a team, um, and have several wins and race for championships and did really good. And, and at the end of the 2013 season, I decided, uh, I'm going to start my own team. I'm going to start my own business Dude. and build my own race team. That's all right. Wow. All right. So you, you found that you, you had an, a knack for the off-road truck stuff and you told us you decided, you know what, I can do this. I could put food on my own table and you decided to start your own team. That's a massive risk. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? it was, it was, it was crazy. Like I, I didn't want to do it at first. I my best friend was the one that talked me into doing it. Um, he's like, man, look at all the sponsors are coming to this team that you're already racing for because you're there. You're the one getting results. You're the one winning races and they're taking all the money and misspending it or mis misusing it. Um, mm -hmm. and so why don't you do it on your own? And I'm like, man, I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't own a hauler. I don't have the crew. I don't have the shop. I, I, I literally, all I owned was a truck, right? As a truck mm -hmm. that me and my dad built in our garage. Um, and that, that's all I owned. Um, and so, uh, my best friend's like, no, dude, we got to do this. We got to try to make it happen. And so it'll be going into 2014 season. I went to all the partners, um, that were involved with me and me personally and said, Hey, here's the, I want to start my own team. I want to do my own team. I'm going to go out and I'm going to sign my life away. I'm going to get a hauler. I'm, I'm going to try to put together a crew of, of me and my best friend and my dad. And, and we're going to try to do this. And, and so, um, that's where it all started. It was 2014. We started Ryan Beat Motorsports and um, been kicking ass ever since. So, so your buddy who who pushed you to it, he actually he put up and he joined the team as well. It wasn't just like yeah, go do no, it. No, you no. got it. You're good. No, no, no. He was he was a. I mean, he was in, he was very deeply involved in this race team up until about a year and a half ago um, when I had to move to North Carolina for one of our, our partnership deals. But he was uh, he was involved for deep on the day-to-day -day basis stuff um, every day for, for like nine years. Just to drive home of how much of a risk it is to start your own team. Like, obviously you need to perform well, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, 
So yeah. like how how was I have to imagine that season was stressful the first time that you were you were getting back and we're running it. So how how'd that go? How did, did it you was it, pretty well? Yeah, we ended up doing very well. You know, we had a couple wins and a bunch of podiums, which podiums are your top three. You always want to be on that podium. One, two, three. Um, we had a I'd say we had eight to ten of those, two or three wins that season. So I mean it was very successful in the start of we were a startup team, right? We started on on day one of 2014 with nothing. I didn't own a hauler. I had a truck. Um, I had no tools. I had to go to get a toolbox. I had to get tools and fill the toolbox full of tools. Like it was a full startup from basically scratch one. Yeah. Um, and were you, know, you nervous? So, like was it, yeah. was it nervous? Yeah. Yeah, it was super nervous, right? Because I'm, I'm gambling everything that I had worked for. You know, my whole whole life I, I built up to the point where I could have a nice truck and, and have a nice house and then built up some, you know, lifelong assets that you acquire and you work mm-hmm. hard for here I'm gambling the a little bit of safety net in the home that I had, gambling away to start this race team because I wanted to go racing and, and I believed in myself. I knew I could do it. I knew I could make something of it given the opportunity. I just had to put my head down and focus and work towards, towards those goals every day of, of waking up and saying, this is what my goal is at the end of this. This is where I want to be and work towards it every okay. day. You know, at what point did you have where, which was a most memorable moment when you said, hey, I beat the odds, I was able to go from one field where others would have retired, but I've been able to accomplish this and be successful in that. At I honestly, point? like every day, like every day since then. <laughs> every honest, win. Like, yeah, every, well, you know, first it was like, hey, let's get this team going in 2014. And then, then once you click off the first win, you're like, I made it. I did it. Yeah. I successfully <laughs> transitioned from you know, racing motocross into off-road. And then now I'm not only racing off-road, but, you know, I was racing for somebody. Now I'm racing for myself. I'm racing for my family. I'm racing for my goals. I'm racing for the guys that I employ. It was it was that first win that set the ball in motion. It kind of gave us that extra boost, to, extra boost of motivation to, to keep going, And right? So ever since then, every win since then, every championship I've won since then, um, every year that we continue to go and grow and, and get bigger, bigger partners, um, you know, it, it, you, you look back and, and every day is going, if you ask me. You just keep raising that bar, right? Like you're mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah. That, and that's what, it, you know, we, we try to raise that bar every year. We try to expand our team and grow our team with bigger, bigger partners. We try to bring the partners that started with us since day one. We try to bring them along into bigger financial deals um, and, and really work at at. at growing the longevity of this thing. I never even, ima- I never even could have imagined it. It would end up where it is today. Right. So, um, to, to, to come up to where we are today of where it started, it, it's mind boggling and, and really have defined the odds. I, I don't think there's one person in this world that will agree with me or will disagree with me in the fact that we have totally overcome the odds of, of what it was to, yeah. to get to That's this awesome. Point. Because not many people have that opportunity to do what yeah. you did. And just to drive home, just to give you the props that you deserve. So t- talk about where you are today. So now you, you is it true that you have the biggest uh, team in in the off-road yeah. track? Yeah. Yeah, we are the largest uh, team inside a short course off-road these days. Um, not only the largest in size, but um, we have the largest partners, uh, meeting sponsors, the largest brands. Um, I am the one and only uh, OEM-backed driver from Chevrolet. So Chevrolet backs me and my team. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those things that we've built a established, uh, if you will, a small empire now 
where we have yeah. future wow. drivers come up. We have a development program where drivers come to us. Uh, we have a program with Chevy where we field a truck for a development driver where basically one lucky driver a year gets picked out of a pool of drivers and they get a shot to come race for our team for no expense, basically. Okay, so you, for. you're not the only driver for your team. You've got no. multiple drivers? Multiple, yeah. This upcoming year, we'll have six. Oh, that's red. I'm just sitting here just amazed that sometimes, if you're looking back, imagine if that accident never happened with your motorbike. Yeah. Where you would be today, right? Sometimes <laughs> no, I think that's back what you think was meant for you, but look yes. at where you are now, totally different from that. <laughs> yeah, I look at that a lot. You know, I look back and I'm like, man, had that not happened, would I still have just been chasing a dangling carrot that could have never achieved or grasped that yeah. mm-hmm. um, At the time, obviously, I wasn't thankful. I'm like, man, this sucks. But it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, now I look back and I'm like, I'm, sweet. Yeah, exactly. So now I look back and I'm, I'm, I'm I, I couldn't be more thankful. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, this isn't just all hurrah for me. Um, I get enough of that when I'm I'm, I'm the the face of the brand, right? Or I'm the face, I'm the driver. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's about including as many people as you can and bringing people with you on the ride up. Yeah. Do you still uh, get on a motorbike? I do. I still try to ride as much as I can. I still try to ride. Um, I love it. I miss it every day. Um, But, uh, you know, one of these days when I retire from off-road, I'll I'll go tour the United States with my dirt bike and go ride all the cool tracks. Never forget (laughs) where you came from, where you started with. Yeah. Well, and you've also set yourself up for a really long career in this, maybe not behind the wheel, but by having your own team and having other racers racing for that team, you've got, you're going to stay in this career, I would assume, for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. That's the plan. That's the goal um, is to continue this as long as I can. I have two little daughters that um, are starting to show an interest in racing. And so hopefully I can continue this thing and build them something that they can come into it. If they want to race, cool. If they don't want to race and they just want to run and manage a race team, then they can, you know, hopefully build something for them that they can really enjoy and, and, and yep. be a part of. Well, speaking of kids, speaking of kids and and um, people who are starting out in in racing now, uh, obviously you started when you were four. What if someone's trying to get into it when they're sixteen or seventeen? Uh, what, what kind of advice would you have for people who are trying to get into this? this I sport? would say work your ass off and don't give up. If you have a dream, follow it. You know what I mean? Like anything, can, you don't you don't know what can happen, right? You don't know how cards can play out. Certain things can happen. Things are constantly pivoting and changing. So if you can be um, prepared enough, you know, where if you're prepared enough and it meets the opportunity, you're going to have success. So um, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you're, looking to do something or chase a dream or to follow a dream don't give up on it you know keep digging keep grinding work your ass off towards it yeah. so also on the note of like uh trying to you know if if people are starting out in this in, in, into the sport um how important is knowing like the mechanics behind the 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 vehicle you're driving yeah for me it was always a, a big plus because i built a lot of my own vehicles with my dad and was very hands-on inside the program so it, it's always helped me i mean nowadays i'd say we produce 80 percent of the new vehicles that people are racing um so anytime somebody you guys produce, produce the vehicles yeah yeah so we build and produce a lot of the vehicles here in the house so um what's you know, the time frame for that like how long does it take to to make a vehicle usually four months four to five months wow. to build a vehicle so like these vehicles last a long time, right? There's guys racing 20-year-old vehicles. So I'd say there's probably two to th- uh, 
anywhere in the range of probably five vehicles a year that are built brand new for that up and coming race season, I'd say we probably produce 80% of those new vehicles a year. And is this just for your team or is this for the <laughs> Other teams too, industry, for other people too. Um, Dude, that's obviously. huge. Yeah, so it's cool. So we have a, a, a good little deal going that, you know. And then when you're actually driving and, and you start to feel something, do you kind of like know what that is? Or, yep. or do you, are you able to kind of point that out? Like obviously you're the one in the car, so you're the only yes. one who really knows. Yeah, thankfully I've gotten really good at diagnosing and reading the cars, what they need and what's going on with them. And, and can even bring that back to the design table now changing designs to make things better or worse. Um, I should say add or subtract certain aspects or characteristics of a vehicle. I'm able to do that now because of the knowledge I've gained over the past, you know, 10 years of doing this as to what certain things are needed and be able to take that back to the design board and change designs. Yeah, I know you have an opportunity to be innovators also in the yes. process of uh, getting your, uh, you know, fixing your trucks to get off. Correct. That's amazing. All right, so you've done you've done two-wheel, you've done UTV, you've done the, the trucks and off-road. Do you have anybody in your team or will you entertain doing any other uh, racing circuits or are you going to stick with this? Yeah, no, we've talked quite a bit recently about going desert racing, like the Baja Bowls and the Baja yeah, 500. Boy. So we've uh, we've talked quite extensively recently about doing that, of adding that to our program. Um, it's something that I want to do. You know, I think it would be like right now I get to have all the fun in the car, right? It'd be fun to throw somebody in the passenger seat, seat and scare the shit out of them for a thousand <laughs> Dude, miles, right? It's, all right, so I got on the Special <laughs> Forces and probably within a year I got a call from uh, General Tire. They had yep. a... a truck going in Baja and I was I was doing an endorsement deal with them back in the day and they asked me if I nice. wanted to I wanted to navigate and I'm like yeah <laughs> fuck sure I've got no experience doing that whatsoever <laughs> make a sure. left I yeah. didn't end up doing it I ended up passing on it at the end of the day but I kind of wish I would have because the Baja sounds yeah. like an absolute blast yeah it's a cool it's a, you know it, it's a mission right it, it's a it's a big long gnarly event even if you just survive it and finish it let alone to mm -hmm. win it is a huge task in itself. So um, it's something that I kind of started positioning myself to go that direction. And, or I shouldn't say go that direction, add that direction as well into our program and, and, and bring that in-house. So um, there's been a lot of conversation. And uh, all I can say is I hope to do it someday soon. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. well, dude, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, man. You brought a lot of insight into the racing world. You've got a hell of a story where you've got a ton of peaks, a ton of valleys, and it looks like you're still on the rise, man. We wish you the most success possible. I want to thank you for coming out today, man. Yeah, no, thanks Keep for having me. On, I, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I love your story, man. I love your exactly. story. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, before we actually go, though, is there any anything you want to share as far as like websites or, or anything where fans can check you out? Any kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, our website is uh, rbm51.com. Um, all my social cha channels are just RyanBeat51, so uh, pretty simple. RyanBeat51 at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Easy place to find me. Um, but yeah, come come hit me up on there, and, and I'm always open and willing to share uh, advice. Uh, I'm always open and willing to uh, you know, give my opinion to certain situations through life. I've been through a lot. A lot. I, I feel like I've lived nine different lives so far within the racing industry and, and, and life and try to share as much advice as I can with people as I know. Life can be tough at times. Hell yeah, That's awesome, Ryan. Awesome. Here, here. All right, Ryan. Thank cool, you so guys. much. Take care. Thank, Thank you, Ryan. Nice meeting you. See you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
That was a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, Ryan's obviously somebody who's been through it all. He's been at the bottom of the barrel. He's come to the top multiple times and he's, you know, he's the hell of an inspiration. But you know what? It's also on everybody's story. How many times have we actually in our lives think, oh my God, this is such a bad thing that happened. But look at what came out of that. I mean, sometimes, you know, I tell myself, sometimes bad things have to happen to direct you to your true destiny. I mean, as a motocross guy, you know, supercross, that that accident of, of taking him away from something he loves so much redirected him to be one of the biggest slow guys right now with off, you know, off-road racing. I mean, to the point where he probably exceeded what he could have achieved in a motocross world. Big inspiration. A great start to 2024 with our guests. All right, everybody, that does it for today. This episode of Forging the Path is coming to a close. If you want to find more content, you can find us at forgingthepath.com or find us on our social medias at Forging the Path Podcast. Hey, biddy, <laughs> <laughs> You got that right this time. <laughs>